Hi, and welcome back to the Savvy Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. From the boulevard of broken dreams to California dreaming, this week we'll tackle the psychology and physiology behind your dreams. So it's been said there are two types of people in this world, those who divide people into two types and those who don't. But when it comes to dreams, it seems there really are two types of people, those who believe dreams hold special meaning and those who believe they're just a coincidental mashup of thoughts and experiences. But those who think dreams hold special meaning, it turns out, are in the majority. An international study found that up to 74% of people around the world believe that dreams reveal hidden truths. And in addition, more people reported they would change their travel plans after a dream about a plane crash than after an actual plane crash on the same route. What's more, more people said they would change their travel plans due to a dream than after an actual code orange from Homeland Security. Superstition or good sense? The debate continues. One thing everyone agrees upon is how we dream. Most dreams occur in a stage of sleep called REM, or rapid eye movement sleep. As we sleep, we cycle in and out of REM, resulting in about five dreams per night, ranging anywhere from five to 40 minutes each. Additionally, dreams are surprisingly similar across cultures. Dr. Calvin S. Hall was a psychologist who, starting in the 1940s, collected more than 50,000 dream reports from around the world. And he discovered that people the world over dream of being chased, being unable to move, falling, and losing teeth, among others. So, what might some of these and other dreams mean? So, the jury is still out on specific symbolism, but here are five dream interpretations with scientific backing. I do have to live up to my evidence-based research tagline, after all. So, dream number one is the falling dream. There are two types of falling dreams. And in one, you step off something low, like a curb or a stair, and land with a jolt. So this dream actually incorporates a muscle twitch called a hypnic jerk, which occurs when muscles relax during the transition to sleep. The second theme of the falling dream is the long version, falling through thin air. And this is more often a sign of dream number two, the anxiety dream. In dreams, negative emotions are much more common than positive emotions. And of the negative emotions, anxiety is by far the most prevalent. So dreams such as falling headlong, being chased, being late, finding yourself naked in public, or being unprepared for an exam all signify anxiety. And more specifically, causes may include feeling overwhelmed, uncertainty brought on by life changes or decisions, or plain old stress. Dream number three, the nightmare. Everyone has nightmares from time to time. While they're scary, occasional nightmares are nothing to worry about. Recurrent nightmares, however, especially after a life-threatening situation, violation, or other trauma, are a common symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. About 71% of individuals diagnosed with PTSD experience nightmares related to their trauma. And some researchers believe nightmares mean the brain is trying to process the experience and make sense of the situation. But others believe it's just the brain stuck in a neural rut. For the latter, a promising therapy called image rehearsal therapy, or IRT, has been proven to reduce the frequency and intensity of PTSD-related nightmares. 
The short version of IRT is this. Nightmare sufferers, while awake, write down their nightmare. Then they write a new, safe ending to the nightmare and rehearse the doctored version, repeating it over and over with the intent of diminishing the original nightmare. For more on IRT, you can check out episode number 55, How to Stop Nightmares and Night Terrors. Next, dream number four, the replay the daydream. So personal experiences from the day, a new book you're reading, an intense conversation, a problem you're mulling over, often find themselves repeated as snippets of dreams. Why? Well, it might be your brain's way of consolidating what you learned that day. It's been found that dreaming about new experiences impacts learning and performance. For example, in a 2010 study, researchers at Harvard Medical School taught study participants to find their way through a complicated 3D maze. Then, some participants took a nap while others kept practicing. Those who napped and dreamed about the maze later performed significantly better at navigating the maze than those who either didn't dream or didn't sleep. Therefore, dreams that incorporate recent memories might mean that your brain is working on a problem, even while you sleep. So, rather than pulling an all-nighter before your next exam, presentation, or other knowledge-based test, make time to sleep. However, even if you don't have time for a full eight hours, the early stages of sleep, called non-REM sleep, also help consolidate learning and memory. In fact, sleep-dependent learning works nearly as well with a nap than with a full night's sleep. A 2008 study even found that power naps as short as six minutes make a difference. Dream number five, the bedroom intruder while paralyzed dream. So the experience of being paralyzed while seeing or sensing a shadowy human figure in one's bedroom has been documented the world over. This is arguably the most scary of the dreams we've covered today, but it turns out there may be a straightforward biological explanation. So the transition time between wakefulness and sleep is a tricky one. And in addition to hypnic jerks, the brain and body do some odd things in this liminal period. The first is sleep paralysis, being temporarily unable to move as you fall asleep or wake up. As it turns out, this is a surprisingly common phenomenon, a 2011 study found that approximately 8% of the population has experienced sleep paralysis. And the same study, interestingly, found that 35% of those with panic disorder had experienced sleep paralysis. So, during REM sleep, your body's muscles aren't actually paralyzed. They're deeply relaxed to the point of being unable to move. And sleep paralysis occurs when the transition from REM to wakefulness is out of sync. You're awake and aware but your muscles haven't yet transitioned out of REM. A second potentially disturbing phenomenon at the intersection of wake and sleep is hallucinations, called hypnagogic hallucinations if they happen when you're falling asleep, and hypnopompic hallucinations if they occur as you're waking up. These hallucinations can be of almost anything and are quite vivid. A colleague of mine remembers hallucinating that a volleyball was coming her way, and she woke up with her hands up, ready to catch it. And while these hallucinations can vary, there is a mysteriously common theme of that shadowy figure lurking in your bedroom. And while it can be terrifying to experience, there's a theory that the figure is simply a hallucinated projection of what's called the homunculus, a map of the body's surface in the right parietal region of the brain. The theory hasn't been supported through experiments yet, but stay tuned. 
So, while I can't tell you the meaning of that dream where you arm-wrestled Richard Simmons while Batman gave you a pedicure, I can tell you that even the weirdest of your dreams are totally normal. If you've learned something from a Savvy Psychologist episode, let me know by liking on Facebook, adding me to your Google Plus circles, or best of all, subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Good news! The Savvy Psychologist email newsletter has launched. So, thank you to the thousands of you who have already signed up. You'll get exclusive content, offers, and more delivered right to your inbox. So to sign up for this and other newsletters from your favorite QDT hosts, just head over to quickanddirtytips.com slash newsletters to learn more. That's quickanddirtytips.com slash newsletters. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and next week we'll answer the question, is it okay to put kids on psychiatric medication and for how long? In the meantime, a transcript of the episode, references for the studies I mentioned, and every Savvy Psychologist episode ever are always available on quickanddirtytips.com slash savvy hyphen psychologist. And I always have to say, the Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you again, and I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind. <laughs>